Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Just says, all right, I think we're rolling. All right, here we go, sir. Welcome in to the NFL Mocks Podcast. I am your humble host, Brooks Austin. And as always, we're coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, and for the first time, Omaha, Nebraska. We are joined today by Sarah Bettinger, our officially new co-host here on the NFL Mocks Podcast. Sarah, how are we doing today, buddy? Man, doing well. Doing well. Excited. Excited to be here again. It's good to be back on the NFL Mocks Podcast. Back and back for good, brother. We are glad to have you on here and on here for good, man. You're always bringing the juice. You're always bringing the fire. And Lord knows, reading all those articles over there at the NFL Mox Podcast, <laughs> you know stuff uh, when it comes to the NFL draft. Am I right, my man? You know, I try. It's been a passion for a long time, like we talked about on the first time I was on. And so I love it, man. I absolutely love football and especially this time of year. I know that this is kind of the dog days for a lot of people, but not for me. This is when I this is when I enjoy it the most. Just speculating, talking about what could be and how good guys could end up being, and just looking at the different scenarios. It's fun. All right, let's give the folks a little rundown of what we'll be talking about on today's NFL Mocks podcast episode. Uh, we're going to hit on those defensive impact rookies that we promised you on Tuesday night. Uh, so Sarah and I will go through, through those. We'll give you our or maybe a handful of guys at each position. And then after that, uh, we'll move into what we call the it factor discussion that Sarah and I have been having off air for quite some time now, <laughs> almost about a month. Uh, Sarah and I have been hashing back and forth this so-called it factor. Uh, we'll give you guys the rundown on that. Uh, and then we'll hit on some news across the league, man. Some big stuff broke over the weekend, or excuse me, over the week, uh, seeing as it is Thursday here. So, Sarah, man, you excited? You ready to do it, my brother? I can't wait. Let's get it going. All right. Now, you know here on the NFL Mox Podcast, we always start with the big guys uh, whenever we're doing any type of these lists and whatnot. You have no uh, oppositions to that, right, Sarah? We can still keep that no, going. I... We don't have to do the, the fancy skill guys. We can stick with <laughs> hogs front first. Let's go with the hogs, man. I'm all for it. All right, man, we're going to start interior. We'll start with the biggest of the big boys. Uh, Two impact interior defensive linemen. Uh, Sarah, we'll start with you. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a nose technique and a three technique. Just give me two guys that will spend a bulk of their snaps playing interior defensive line this year as a rookie. Uh, Two guys that will absolutely bring an impact day one when they show up. 
I think the the first guy who's going to make a huge impact, and maybe he won't make the biggest impact in the NFL, but I think he's going to make a huge impact on the culture of his team, and that guy is Christian Wilkins from Clemson. I really think that the Dolphins have done a good job the last two years of bringing in their top their their two top picks from the last two years. Remember last year, Minka Fitzpatrick out of Alabama. I know you know a lot about him being down there in the South, but uh, Minka Fitzpatrick was really a guy I thought that the the Dolphins – could build a culture around defensively and really just their their team in general. We know Minka Fitzpatrick is kind of like Nick Saban's son in a way. And um, I, I don't think you, mm-hmm. you get that. You're just given that kind of respect by Nick Saban. I think Minka Fitzpatrick is a special guy. Christian Wilkins, I think, is the same type of special type of person. And um, he's a really good football player too. And he's one of the oldest first-round picks, one of the, uh, one of the few – 23 24 year old guys that got picked in the first round this year but um i think he's going to make a huge impact for that dolphins team and so i'm looking for him to do some big things the dolphins may not win a lot of games this year but i think christian wilkins is going to be really part of their kind of rebranding on that side of the ball and i'm going to go outside around one for this second guy here i'm going to go with tristan hill of the dallas cowboys and i think that there's something to be said so you like the tristan hill pick huh sir you know i I'm not a hundred percent on on the pick in general. I think that I, I like what he did this past season. Ten and a half tackles for loss, three sacks. That's that's all well and good. He showed well athletically. What I like about this is the fact that he's the he's the Cowboys number one pick. So he's gonna come in and he's gonna have the expectations of a Cowboys number one pick, even though he wasn't a first round pick. But I think they're going to rely on him quite a bit, and I'm excited to see what he can do. I think he's stepping into a really good situation. That defense is already pretty good. And Rod Marinelli, I mean, you get guys in his scheme, they seem to do really well. And so I'm looking for him to make an instant impact this year because the Cowboys had a need on the defensive interior, and they got their defensive end back. Demarcus Lawrence coming in on that big contract. So I think Tristan Hill is another guy to watch out for. You know what? That's what I like about you, Sarah. Neither one of us went Quentin Williams or Ed Oliver, as you'll see when I give you my <laughs> list. Obviously, very, very easy to say the two impact rookies this year are going to be the first two defensive tackles off the board. And that's not to say that we don't believe those guys are going to have incredible seasons this year. But we're here to give you just a little bit something different on the NFL Marks podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like your two guys there, man. Tristan Hill and uh, and uh, Christian Wilkins there. You know, Christian Wilkins fought to be – you know, him and Cleveland Farrell there were – nose to nose in terms of being the leader uh, and inspirational leader there on that great uh, Clemson defense there, the two-time national champion. So that guy comes into the league, I believe, with two rings right there um, and definitely has uh, some – some leadership abilities there uh, in Christian Wilkins. So I like that too. A lot of a lot of culture picks there for Miami mm-hmm. over the past two seasons. I think Minka was exactly that uh, last year like you laid on. Uh, right there. Nick Saban's, uh, you know, mini Saban on the field, as he called yeah. it, basically, yep, as you yep. alluded to. But uh, I'll get into my my two interior defense linemen, man. And like I said, going a little bit off the board here, I like the Jerry Tillery pick and, and not necessarily the value there at 28. 
wasn't quite caliber player, but nonetheless, I like the player more than the pick, almost like similar to your case with Tristan Hill there. You like the player mm -hmm. a lot more than the early second round pick there. But, you know, the Cowboys in a situation where they had to take their guy there at the top of the second round because that was their first pick available. And similar case here with San Diego, man, not a lot of defensive tackles available after that number 28 pick that were, you know, valued that highly. And they were definitely in a position where forced their hand was forced in taking a defensive tackle here, man. But he's going to play a lot of football next year in Los Angeles. He becomes, you know, an instant starter retech position next to Brandon Meebane, their fire plug of a nose tackle. So, mm -hmm. you know, he only switched to defensive line. You know, he started playing defensive line for the first time in college there at Notre Dame. So just a couple of seasons under his belt as a defensive lineman. And that means to me, when I hear something like that, that I don't question the athletic ability. In fact, I know with, uh, you know, what he turned into the combine, he's a superior athlete. What I, it tells me is that there's room to grow here. So I like that pick there from Jerry Tillery. Uh, another guy, my secondary guy here, uh, impact defensive tackles got to be Kalen Saunders or Colin Saunders. I believe is how it's mm. pronounced. I love this pick right here by Kansas City uh, in the back end of the third round. You talk about fire plugs like Brandon Meebane. This kid from Western Illinois is going to plug and play right there at the nose tackle position. And though he may not get a ton of sacks, he's going to push the pocket from the inside and he's going to help out a ton in the run game there in Kansas City, which is a major issue they had last season. Gave up uh, 200 yards rushing on multiple occasions. So those are two interior defensive linemen. Um, I, you want to snake style this thing, or do you want to hit yours? Let's get your two defensive ends. Let's hit those right quick. Gosh, I like those picks right there. Those are those are some good ones. I, you know, they're my division rivals, though, man. You're killing me here, you're killing me with that. Um, <laughs> I I do for defensive ends. I think I got to start with Brian Burns. I think the Carolina Panthers had two huge needs this offseason. Number one. They had to find some way to protect Cam Newton. And number two, they had to get some youth off the edge. And I was kind of surprised to see them go with a with an edge guy first. But Brian Burns, I mean, we talked about him leading up to the draft. And I think that he's he's a really good value at 16. And I think that he's going to provide the the Panthers with exactly what they need. He's, he's going to be a guy who can come in and give you 10 to 12 sacks, hopefully right away. I don't know if he's going to be that kind of guy right away. I mean, we're talking almost borderline Javon Curse numbers there, so let's not get too crazy. But I think Brian Burns is going to have a really good NFL mm -hmm. career, and obviously it starts this year. So I think he's going to be a really good one. And then another defensive end that I'd be looking at early on here, I'd be looking at Montez Sweat, man. I, I just think even with the issues that he had health-wise at the Combine, I like the situation that he's stepping into. Washington's got a really good defensive front, and I think he's going to really benefit from that. I think he's going to have a good rookie season. He's one of the most NFL-ready guys, I think, at the defensive end. He may play that hybrid linebacker position or whatever, but I still think of him as that D end. I, can, I think he'll be able to put his, put his hand in the dirt a little bit for the Redskins. We'll see what happens, but I love that pick. I love that player. I think this more than more than the first one where I like the situations. I think that this is a situation where I really like the players in their specific situations. So I'm going with those two guys. 
I'm pretty well stated that, you know, I'm not extremely high on Brian Burns as a traditional 4-3 defensive end, but there's no question he's going to be able to get after the passer next year. And that's what you pay guys to do, right? At the defensive end position, you pay them to go get after the quarterback, and he'll be able to do that. What I just wish would have happened is uh, to see maybe a 3-4 heavy uh, defense draft him and play him more as an outside linebacker and edge rusher Mm -hmm. predominantly, not necessarily someone who's going to be required to set the edge. But we've talked about enough here on the NFL Mocks podcast. Um, my two guys, man, I'll go with Cleveland Farrell, uh, the fourth overall pick, man. We know it was a little too high for his, uh, you know, draft, uh, you know, prospect. But, man, it may have come – and it's going to end up coming with lofty expectations. You know, Oakland Raiders fans will expect fourth round or fourth oh, overall yeah. production out of this young man now already. But, man, he's absolutely a star defensive end in the NFL and a damn good one at that to me Sarah he's not going to do the flashiest stuff on film you're not going to see you know though he does have a quick first step you're not going to see this guy bend or do anything crazy in terms of athleticism but he's going to play hard and extremely hard on all four downs in the NFL Um, and to me man we talked about Christian Wilkins his teammate coming off the board there at 13 Cleveland Farrell was absolutely 100% in my mind the emotional and uh, spiritual leader, if you will, for that defense there in Clemson. And again, man, I can't speak highly enough of the tape I saw him put down uh, there in the national championship game uh, against Alabama. I think he did some really, really incredible stuff against Jonah Williams, who we mentioned last episode uh, in our impact rookies for the offensive tackle position. My second guy on this list, uh, Sarah, is Chase Winovich, man. If anyone knows how to take an athlete that is as twitchy as Winovich, I know some people didn't expect that to really happen. He comes out and runs a 4.52 in the 40 at the combine, jumps out of the gym and has an incredible broad jump. So an incredibly twitchy athlete. A lot of people didn't necessarily see that coming uh, unless they watched a lot of Michigan film and a lot of Michigan tape last year. Um, But you combine that type of combine, that type of athleticism with how the level of effort that this kid plays with uh, down in and down out. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Belichick will end up making this guy a Pro Bowl player at some point because of not only how smart he is, not only how hard he plays, but just the talent that the young man has. Uh, and I'm still baffled that he made it to the third round. So those are my two guys mm-hmm. I think we're going to hear a lot of next year there at the defensive end position. Now, impact linebackers, I think this list can go pretty quickly. We Three of yeah. these we're going to give you. And I think we have to just name the two guys off the top. It's Devin White and Devin Bush. We know that those two guys are going to make serious impacts for their football team. Who's that third guy on your list, Sarah? Or maybe you had an, a couple of other names. Gosh, you know, this was a, this was really a tough one for me because – after those two guys, it was really a crapshoot to to figure out, well, who's going to be that guy? So I'm going to go with the guy that I really underestimated going into this whole draft process. So I'm going to go with Jelani Tavai for the Detroit Lions. Mm-hmm. I think that him being the number three. My boy out of Hawaii, Mar- right? Yeah, Hawaii. Which, by the way, side note, if you were recruited to play football at Hawaii, and I assume that every major prospect is, why are you not going? I mean, my goodness, like <laughs> Hawaii, you get to play football. You get to go to school for free and play football in Hawaii. So I don't know. That's an underrated podcast topic, maybe for another day. But I think this guy, Tavai, is going to, I mean, he's going to get a rude awakening. Why you should be playing college. Why you're stupid if you're not playing college football uh, in Hawaii. Um, but uh, after yeah, after the break, after the break. <laughs> yeah. Up next, more details. <laughs> 
I don't know. This guy's going to get a rude awakening going from Hawaii to Detroit, but I love when certain people who are really good at their jobs in the NFL, um, you know, obviously uh, Matt Patricia, the head coach of the Detroit Lions, one of the better defensive coordinators or defensive coaches in the NFL. Uh, I like it when they get their hands on a guy that they, they can coach up specifically. And so Tavai coming in similar to the Winovich pick that you just made for New England where they just know how to use guys. I think that Patricia has a good track record of developing linebackers. And so this guy, kind of an unheralded, I thought he'd be like a day three type of pick. He goes in round two at pick 43. And so yeah. kind of start to look back and think like, well, why was this guy picked? And you look at his numbers and you see, oh, well, he had two seasons where he had over 120 tackles. And even in eight games this year, he still had 82 tackles. And so he definitely got the production that I think you look for from that inside backer. And uh, I think he's going to do really well in Detroit. I like to pick. I like to pick a lot. My guy uh, here on my list has got to be Jermaine Pratt, uh, linebacker out of NC State. Third-round pick to Cincinnati. Uh, man, he's going to have to have an impact on that defense there in Cincinnati this year. Uh, Preston Brown and Nick Vigil are about the only two linebackers worth noting, <laughs> no, worth noting on that roster there in Cincinnati with just a side note while we're on it. Cincinnati, worst roster in the NFL right now, Sarah, would you say so? Oh, yeah, easily for sure. Yeah. Def- specifically yeah, would, on defense. I would agree. Yeah, specifically on defense. Yeah, I would I would agree there as well. So again, Jermaine Pratt, uh similar to my Jerry Tillery take here. I think it's just a guy who, even though he was a third round pick with the loss of Vontez Burfick, it's just a guy who's gonna have to literally have to be on the field this year for the Cincinnati Bengals, and he better play well uh, if they're going to win. So let's do a little snake draft here. I'll keep talking because I love to do so. Let's get into these (laughs) cornerbacks and pick two. I'm going to start with my first guy, and I love this guy from the very first moment I turned on film and started doing rankings prior to the NFL Combine, and it's DeAndre Baker, man. He's going to fly out ball in New York, even if the Giants straight stink. I loved everything about this guy, again, coming out of Georgia. He never allowed a touchdown in college, uh, at least one that was directly his fault or his man in coverage. Now, he will be on the field a ton in New York with that lackluster offensive attack the Giants Mm -hmm. have, but he's going to play solid, and he's going to be solid there at the cornerback position. My other guy has to be Justin Lane, the cornerback out of Michigan State. Pittsburgh came into this draft needing help in the secondary. Uh, and Lane, man, he's a long, lengthy corner, uh, and he fills a need right there for Pittsburgh. So I think he plays a lot of snaps early. He does have a tendency to be a little bit grabby, uh, so you might see a couple of pass interference there in Pittsburgh. But he's going to give NFL wide receivers a hard time, man, in press coverage, especially because of how long and lengthy he is and just his size overall. So those are my two guys that I think make an impact uh, this year in 2019 on their NFL defenses. Who are your two, who are your two cornerbacks there? Those are good picks. I like that we've had different guys for everything so far, other than the two, two, those two inside linebackers who everyone's going to be picking. Oh, Byron Murphy, me, baby. Byron Murphy. Byron Murphy. He's got to be he's got to be in line to have the biggest impact of any rookie corner because now especially with Patrick Peterson being suspended for 6 games and I mean they they really don't have much else in Arizona and so I know uh, I know from experience that Vance Joseph doesn't love to play the rookies if he doesn't have to but you know he's going to have to play Byron Murphy this year and I hope Murphy does really well. I think that the Cardinals are 
they're kind of in a weird situation where everything they're, they're throwing so much stuff at the wall and just hoping that hoping that enough of it sticks that they can keep jobs around there specifically Steve Kime. But I think this was a really good pick for them. And even if Kime doesn't keep his job beyond this year, I think Murphy's going to stick around for a long time and be a really good player for them. The other guy that I'm looking at is greedy Williams. I know we were talking about him throughout the season as a top five pick. And I know the tape didn't show a top five pick after all was said and done, but Again, we look at these situations here. We look at the fact that he was the top pick of the team that probably had the best offseason of any team in the NFL, the Cleveland Browns. Nobody nobody is down on the Cleveland Browns right now, and every single move they make seems better than the last. And even though he came out and called Super Bowl after he was drafted, I love this pick. He's going to get to play next or opposite to Denzel Ward. They've got so many good rushers up in front of him. They're gonna have, they're gonna just have so many opportunities, and they're gonna be playing with such a swag. I don't think his tackling skills are gonna really come to haunt him that much this year. If it does, I mean, you know, he may he may have the not top ten play every once in a while, but this guy's gonna make a lot of plays on the football. We already know that, and he's coming with a chip on his shoulder. He should have been that top ten pick. If you're Greedy Williams, you should have been that top ten pick. You should have been the number one corner off the board. And I'm just looking here. I'll do a really quick count. Uh, DeAndre Baker was the first corner off the board, correct? So that's one, two, three, four, five, uh, six corners taken ahead of Greedy Williams. And I don't think anybody saw that coming early in the year. So I like his chances to have an instant impact. All right. Sarah's the big it factor guy. And we're going to get to this argument a little (laughs) bit later. Uh, But Greedy Williams, his historically known for not having it yeah um yeah. you know didn't receive didn't receive any pre-draft uh interviews or pre-draft uh visits to any mm. teams which is something we've we spoke about that a little bit there something completely unheard of uh, yeah. but nonetheless an incre- incredibly talented young man there out of lsu let's move on to these safeties i'll let you go first uh, and then I'll knock my two out let's finish this snake draft staff yeah 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 i don't, I don't think anybody's got more expectation on them than Jonathan Abram. I mean, I don't know if you saw Mike Mayock calling him during the draft, but he uh, he took something that could have been this really lighthearted, like happy-go-lucky moment, and he made it seem like, all right, man, I just want to let you know, like, we're not picking you for this. We're picking you to be the leader, blah, blah, blah. And, I, I mean, this guy lives and breathes and dies football. I remember watching him in the uh, – I think it was the Outback Bowl. It was some nun – you know, important bowl game against my Iowa Hawkeyes. But I remember watching this guy play and just wondering, like, man, who who ticked this guy off? Like, who's the who's the one who just just ruined this guy's day before the game? Because he was just a menace out there on the field, and he fits what the Raiders do perfectly. And again, we talk about a guy taking somebody who plays the position of their specialty. I think this is a direct Mike Mayock pick. And what was Mike Mayock at Boston College? He was a safety. And he has a certain style of football that he wants, a certain brand that he wants played. So he's taking a guy at his position who plays the brand of football that he wants to be played. And uh, I think that there's no bigger impact safety in this draft, or at least the expectation, than Jonathan Abram. And then I'm going to go to the second round. And I'm going to go to the Seattle Seahawks and their pick of Marquise Blair. I know very little about Marquise Blair. What I do know is the shoes that he's filling are pretty big. And uh, I'm not saying that he's going to directly replace Earl Thomas by any means, but 
this is the guy that they brought in. I mean, nonetheless, whether or not whether or not you say, well, he's never going to be, uh, he's never going to be Earl Thomas. That that doesn't mean that doesn't mean much. I mean, he's coming in, Earl Thomas out, Marquise Blair in. So expectations here you are. So this guy better come to play. No, I like both of those picks, especially your first one. It's the first time ten players in, uh, or ten positions finally hit a guy that we both picked, man, is my first safety off the board uh, in terms of direct impact this coming up year. And I'm telling you right now, Sarah, he will absolutely 1,000% be trending on Twitter at least one time next year for having nearly <laughs> taken someone's head clean off. All right? He yeah. doesn't – cut. He, he, he don't play around. He's he's there He's there to light folks up. So, uh, so bottom line, he better save that signing bonus because I feel like Mr. Goodell will be sending him some fines for illegal yeah. hits this next season. But nonetheless, love the way that guy plays the game. Uh, and Jonathan Abrams definitely going to make a big impact in Oakland. And, and not like, you know, like Sarah just mentioned, it's not just going to be on the field. Mike Mayock drafted that guy to be the head honcho on that defense. So we'll see how that turns out. Uh, my next guy I'm going to pick, I'm going to go with the second round as well. little Juan Thornhill action mm. out of Virginia, man. The Chiefs seem uh, to me like a solid impact player. Um, you know, he's going to be a solid impact player early. Uh, it's a guy that played a ton of college football, Sarah, a three-year full-time mm -hmm. starter there, and he played nine games as a true freshman at Virginia. Well, versatile, all get out. It starts at both corner, uh, strong safety and free safety, I believe, in college. So that versatility, that ability to play all over the field is definitely going to get Juan Thornhill on the field early there in Kansas City. So those are my two safeties. A little bonus late-round stud, Sarah. A little bonus pick for the listeners here because uh, we go above and beyond on the NFL Box mm -hmm. Podcast. Who's a late-round guy, you know, th rounds three or later uh, that you think is going to make an impact this year? It can be any position on the defense. Go ahead, man. Oh, man, there's so many good ones to pick from. There's so many good ones to pick from. I think, I think I'm going to go – with a guy who went to a local team. One, this was one of my favorite players in the draft, Ben Burr-Curvin from Washington. Undersized, but definitely not under-athletic. A really good athlete, for especially for his size, who's just a tackling machine. One of the team leaders at Washington, one of the guys that made their defense tick, and he's getting to stay in Washington and play for the Seattle Seahawks, man. And what a cool story that is. And the Seahawks, as we know, I mean, they're dismantling that Legion of Boom like nobody's business. They're just picking these guys out one after another. You got Bobby Wagner coming up on a contract year, wanting to be the highest-paid linebacker in the NFL. Doubt the Seahawks are going to do that after re-signing Russell Wilson. So, I mean, I think there's going to be some reps for for this guy this year. And so, looking at this fifth-round pick, one of the high, one of the top five fifth-round picks this year, Ben Burke Curvin out of Washington. I think he's a guy that people can look at and say. Uh, they'll be able to look at a year from now and say, wow, yeah, they were right about that guy. This guy's just just a baller, just a straight-up football player who gets the job done. And I did you a favor here by not being being biased and picking my man Amani Hooker, fourth-round pick, who's going to start for the Tennessee Titans this year. You know what? You, you didn't save the correct one. You didn't save the correct Iowa Hawkeye because the late round steal this year is Anthony Nelson, man, down there in Tampa. 
he fits Todd Bowles' 3-4 defense perfectly, man. Bowles loves long athletic defensive ends that can play head up on tackles and control the line of scrimmage, allow those uh, 3-4 outside linebackers to get it uh, and rush around the edge right there. So Andy Nelson uh, going to be a good football player in Tampa this year as a late-round pick, all right? Let's get into this discussion, man. I've been looking forward to this all day. We got to yeah. get into this it factor, man. All right. So this debate between Sarah and I began a couple weeks ago uh, with the discussion about Jake Fromm, I believe it was, Sarah. Um, oh, yeah. And Sarah seems to believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah seems to believe that Fromm uh, is a franchise quarterback at the next oh, yeah. level because he has, and I know the podcast audience can't see us, I'm doing air quotes, he has it. <laughs> so the question now becomes, what is it? Uh, to me, I'll give you my definition, Sarah, and then you can hop in with yours. To me, yeah, yeah. the it factor is that special something that changes the mood of the huddle and then ultimately the team. So you kind of just know it when you see mm -hmm. it uh, or more importantly, know it when you feel it when you're in that offensive huddle. Is that kind of how you describe the it factor, Sarah? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think what the it factor really boils down to is is players who are wise and mature beyond their years. And I saw QB1 just like everyone else. Come on now, Jake Fromm leading his team, dealing with defeat, understanding the situations that he was in, and then watching how he played his freshman year at Georgia right about the same time. I mean, I was watching that documentary right about the same time he was uh, he was playing in the in the college football playoff. And so I'm seeing this kid who looks like, uh, you know, an experienced college athlete, at least playing against high school kids. And I'm seeing him go up against the best of the best in the college football playoff. And I'm thinking, man, there's something this kid's got. I mean, obviously he's got a good team around him, but I think Jake Fromm is the type of guy that if you put him, you know, if you put him at a smaller school, say, I don't know, not too. So let's not get, let's not get carried away here. But I'm talking like a, you know, I don't know, Iowa. Let's say Iowa, because Iowa is not really a perennial playoff contender. You put a Jake Fromm at Iowa, that team is a playoff contender, in my opinion, because he has the it factor, because he's able to anticipate situations. He's able to play things out in his mind, and he's able to compensate. Not just he doesn't he doesn't just win with talent. He wins with his mind. He wins with you know, preparation, diligence, hard work. I think the it factor is more than just an intangible thing. It's a tangible, hey, I'm going to put my head to the grindstone and make something happen. I mean, that's all fair, I guess. I mean, it's all, you're, you're saying all good things. I'm here for this it factor conversation. Mm -hmm. I think it's, a, it's definitely one that needs to be had. But my only thing is, the it factor can't be the only thing that's present. And you talk right. about having talent surrounded him. Now, did he have the greatest talent around him at Houston County here in Houston, Georgia, when he was in high school? No, probably didn't have the greatest set of talent. And I believe he was playing five or six A football. But nonetheless, the guy I don't think made it past this, at least the semifinals uh, in high school football. So there you go. Knock one on the it factor. The it factor is only good enough for if the people around you are good enough, is my opinion there. Right, um, right. 
but I'm all for it, right? I'm especially at the high school and college level. I think it's really, really important that the guy walking into your huddle, your play caller, is someone that you know is the hardest worker in the room that people absolutely respect, that guys want to play for and want to play hard for. Now, that being said, once you get into the professional level, my opinion is that these guys are pros, man. The the youngest guy on the roster is 25, 24 years old, and the oldest guy on the roster may be a kicker at 42 or Tom Brady, an MVP quarterback at 44 or 43, however long he's going to play. My my, yeah. my point is professionals don't really need that extra motivation uh, to you know walk in the huddle and, and feel some sense of pride uh, or some extra incentive or motivation to go play a little harder that's just my opinion but i mean here's the deal we can list these guys out guys that we think have the it factor in the nfl and guys that we don't and kind of when i did it and i'll I'll give you this right here god i think do quality it factor is currently in the nfl Bree definitely has it philip rivers i think has it those guys want to play hard for him cam newton absolutely 1000% has the it factor. Those dudes love him. Tom Brady for sure has this, right? He's spending his entire summer trying to learn what young people are doing and how to relate to them. That is the definition of the it factor, going the extra mile and doing things such as that. Now, the guys that have been successful on the other end, Sarah, that I don't believe necessarily had this quote-unquote it factor, your boy Jay Cutler, who I know you in Denver Mm -hmm. love, uh, never had mm-hmm. it. Now, granted, it probably cost him his career there towards the end. But Eli Manning, Eli Manning had by no stretch of the mean has it. Matt Ryan, I don't think Matt Ryan is the guy that's going to hop up on a press conference table and, and, and take bullets for everybody. I think he's kind of soft-spoken and quiet as well, kind of mm-hmm. lets Julio and other people you know, be leaders by example on that football team uh, and kind of delineates to Dan Quinn to be the leader there as well. Matt Stafford definitely doesn't have this quote-unquote it. Ben Roethlisberger certainly doesn't have it. And in my opinion, Ron Wilson doesn't have this. That locker room, mm-hmm. it's very, very clearly stated that they didn't necessarily like him there in Seattle either. And my last point, and I think my greatest point, Aaron Rodgers absolutely 1,000% does not have this it factor, but Aaron Rodgers has everything else a quarterback would ever need mm-hmm. outside you know, being the best motivator. So that's my argument there, Sarah. Let's hear yours. Who are some guys that, you know, you point to when you think of the it factor uh, maybe being the reason they have success? Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and, and pull some guys from either of your lists and swap them. I think uh, Russell Wilson definitely has the it factor, and I think Cam Newton definitely does not have the it factor. I think there's oh. a difference. Oh, man, and I will – and I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why, because Super Bowl 50 broke Cam Newton. And I'm not saying that he's not good anymore, but he is broken and he showed it immediately. Um, And Russell Wilson lost half his team last year and brought the Seahawks from a, I think they started what, 0-2 or 0-3 or whatever it was, brought them back Mm -hmm. to the playoffs. And so I think that it's a it's a different thing than likability because a lot of the guys you mentioned they may not be the most likable guys you know Rodgers obviously there was that big expose this offseason about what kind of a person he is and the dude's own family doesn't even like him and Jay Cutler was another type of guy who probably smoking a cigarette in the car before every fan left training camp practices his rookie season I mean that's just that's just the type of guy he is he was a clock in clock out let's win on talent and I'm going to do it for a long time. And he did. 
and that's great for him. Um, but there's certain guys like that. There's certain guys that you want to rally around or that you know are going to rally in, when when the time comes. Like, like who are the players and who are their teams that you know they're never out of a game? Uh, and that's the Tom Brady's of the world, the Russell Wilson. And I, I think you could argue the Cam Newton at times, although there are way longer stretches of play where Cam Newton is unable to lift his team than a guy like a like a Wilson or a Breeze or a Brady or Peyton Manning at his prime. Peyton Manning, I remember. I mean, I remember watching that guy as uh, a you know on my team and on somebody else's team, and I had just the polar opposite feeling. Anytime my team was playing Peyton Manning, I knew that if you did not have the game won with, you know, if you didn't have the ball in your hands with, you know, two seconds left on the clock and you had a lead on the scoreboard, there was a chance Peyton Manning could still win the game. It didn't matter what was going on and what, what the situation was. And as when he played for the Broncos, you could feel that they're down 24 to nothing against Phillip Rivers, a guy that, you said, and I agree, has the it factor. Um, uh, 24 nothing on Monday Night Football. Biggest comeback in Monday Night Football history. Peyton Manning comes back and leads the Broncos to one of the one of the greatest wins I've ever seen in my life. And I think that there's there's a certain level to this where, like you said, these guys don't need to be necessarily motivated by anything. They're not they're not carrying this chip on their shoulder. They're just winners. And Tom Brady is the the prime example of this. I mean, down 28 to three, you're, I'm sure you guys hear about this all the time down where you're at, but down 28 to three in the Super Bowl. I mean, a lot of lesser players would fold in that situation. And Tom Brady rose to the occasion and he always does. But I think the if factor is, is, is such a, is there's so many different things. It's a combination of likability. And by the way, lifelong Tom Brady hater here, but now the dude has Twitter, and I, I don't even know if I can stop liking him. He just seems like a seems like an awesome dude. But I think it's it's somewhat like a boy. Got solid dad jokes for sure. Dude's got yeah, good he dad does. jokes. I guarantee he it. Like I, I bet he makes his kids laugh all the time. Just solid, solid yeah. dad jokes all around. <laughs> but I think what we're getting at here, man. I think what you can kind of boil it down to is that. Your quarterback better have a little bit of both. He better have – he doesn't necessarily have to have all the intangibilities. He doesn't have to have the biggest arm in the world. He doesn't necessarily have to be six foot five. He doesn't have to be as the mo- most mobile quarterback ever. And he doesn't necessarily have to be you know, the greatest leader of all time. Uh, he doesn't have to be, um, you know, the Vince Lombardi of quarterbacks. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't have to be necessarily the inspirational guy. But a little bit of both is what makes a really good quarterback, I feel like. So, um, you know, I like to play a little bit of the devil's advocate here. Obviously, you want your quarterback to have the the off-the-field intangibles of being a great leader because he's probably, you know, if he's successful after his rookie contract, he's probably going to be your highest-paid employee um, and, you know, probably hopefully your best player and your most important Mm -hmm. player. And I've, I've said it all the time. Uh, you are who your best player is. So if your best player is Jay Cutler and he's sitting in the car before practice smoking cigarettes, um, you're probably not going to be a very good football team. I, I totally get that. And again, a little, me playing devil's advocate, but you know, I'm I'm not so I, I'm not so high on it. I'm never going to be the person that's going to say, "Well, you got to draft this guy because he's just got it." Well, he better have it and a, and an arm or it and some 
super high levels of accuracy, you know, all those right. kind of good things right. that play into being a really good quarterback. So that wraps up our it uh, conversation and discussion. And I've been looking forward to that one. Like I said, for we quite got through a while. the whole this it factor discussion without mentioning Tim Tebow's name at all, which is crazy to me. Oh, Jesus, man. <laughs> Jesus, man. Come on, come on, bring it up. Give me, give me the Tebow talk. Mr. I mean, give me the I mean, talk. you, you saw, you paid witness to the 2011 Tim Tebow season. I mean, that was no it factor. That was the supernatural work of the Lord almighty. My goodness. Tim Tebow was was on fire that year. I mean, there was nothing could stop him. Didn't didn't matter how much time was left. I pull up the gifts all day, man. Tim Tebow in 2011, one of the Tim, best years of my life. Tim Tebow is one of my favorite storylines in NFL football history because it absolutely makes no sense. This dude was coming coming from behind in fourth quarters with a completion percentage and a quarterback rating that was just absolutely abysmal. His completion percentage at one point uh, in the first three quarters, I believe, was like 25%. And for some reason in the fourth quarter, he's like, ah, I'm just going to go out and throw some dimes right quick. I'm going to go seven for seven in the fourth yep. quarter at 80 yards on the ground, and we'll figure out this win. Uh, just give me give, give me the six to three at halftime. Uh, just make sure we're within two scores there in the fourth. And uh, Jesus will come down and figure the crap out, I guess. That's what yeah. it looked like, man. You're so right. It was it was a season from the gods. And I'm sure as a, as a Bronco fan, you thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, I did. I did. I remember one of the games that uh, – one of the games that really stands out to me, he literally completed two passes. And one of them was just this perfect – if you put it on – if you put all his best throws on a highlight reel, you'd be like, how did this guy not make it long-term in the NFL? He threw this – dime to eric decker against the kansas city chiefs in arrowhead in november to win the game basically and i mean it was just it was something else man i'll never forget it. i was there in person when he beat the vikings in minneapolis shout out to christian ponder who maybe played the best game of his life and didn't get the dub but uh yeah it was uh it was really something to behold but yeah it factor you talk oh, about it the Tim tebow he was the poster the classic boy the classic clash between it factor guy Tim Tebow and total non it factor guy Christian Ponder. Um, you know, <laughs> except for that wife of his, Miss, Miss Sam, he did okay. He definitely outpunted his coverage there, did uh, Christian Ponder. Uh, but let's hit on yeah, some yeah. of this news around the league, baby. Uh, Chris Long admits to using medical or, you know, using marijuana throughout his career. That was the big storyline from today that broke around eight or nine o'clock this morning. Now, a lot of people mm -hmm. were taken back by this, Sarah. Uh, completely shocked that an 11-year pro football player made it all these years mm -hmm. smoking uh, and, and avoiding drug tests, uh, you know, avoiding failing any drug tests. Uh, as long as as has been alluded to, they only test once a year, or excuse me, as long alluded to in his comments on the Dan Patrick show today. They only test you once a year in the NFL. Uh, it's a predetermined fixed date or at least fixed area. They kind of know it'll be, you know, second or third week of OTAs. Uh, if you get clean by then, you're pretty much good for the rest of the season. Uh, if you fail one of those, you'll probably immediately go into the NFL's drug awareness or drug protection program. At that point, you'll be tested a lot more. So that's just kind of the rundown there. That's how these guys are getting away with it. Um, and then immediately after or somewhere kind of around the time, Roger Goodell's office released a statement basically saying that um, the league's going to kind of, you know, they hinted towards at least or 
trended towards at least that they're going to open their doors up a little bit uh, to medical marijuana usage uh, there for the NFL players in terms of pain relief. What are your kind of thoughts on this? Uh, Chris Long coming out here and, and and basically telling everybody, you know, I smoked dope for 11 seasons while I was in the NFL because I had to because of pain relief mm-hmm. and because of anxiety, things like that there. Uh, what, what do you think's going on there with that? Yeah, you know, I understand why a lot of these guys want to use it. And and a lot of people are way more educated on this topic than I am. Um, and I can't imagine what it's like to be an NFL athlete taking that beating every single week and just trying to do anything that you can to to fix the pain. I'll tell you just a personal story recently in my mouth. was I had like some sore in my mouth. And I'm like trying to figure out like, dude, what do I got to do to get this out? Do I got to go to the doctor? Do I got to get some like ointment? Do I got to take some ibuprofen? And I'm taking ibuprofen around the clock. Like every three hours, I'm taking whatever I need to take because my mouth hurts so bad. And I just like, I can't stand it. And I'm like, I'll, I don't care what I got to swish around. Like what, what mouthwash I got to use. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, and so I think that if guys are, gosh, if this is the best way for them to stay healthy and to have long careers and, and if it doesn't affect them long term, like, again, there's people way more educated than I am. And, and Chris Long, obviously one of the good Samaritans of the NFL, right? I mean, dude gave away his entire salary the last two years. And, uh, and he was, he was rewarded handsomely for that with, with a couple Super Bowls, right? I mean, he won one with New England. He won one with uh, Philadelphia. So I think that obviously this guy doesn't have any bad karma. So we're talking about a, a player who had a great career. He was drafted high, played well for a number of teams, won a couple of Super Bowls, did his thing off the field. Was, wasn't he the Walter Payton man of the year two years ago? I mean, this is a guy that yes, the sir. NFL very, very highly regards. And so I just don't understand. I mean, if they're if they're trying to paint him in a negative light with this, I don't understand that. Um, I also think that there's a, a, a thin line between you're using this to, to suppress pain and you're using this as a recreational like escape from reality. And I don't know where that line is because I've never never smoked before. Um, so I don't know what I don't know what these guys are, what their goal is with it. But I mean, obviously, if it can help them long term like again I, I point back to my own personal story like do whatever you got to do to stay healthy and to stay right you know yeah no most definitely and i'll let you in kind of behind the curtain on what i believe the nfl should definitely do with this it's long been noted right that the ncaa doesn't allow their football players or their athletes to use any type of recreational drugs or street drugs um but up until last season last full calendar year it was it was listed at all times as an NCAA athlete. You would know this. You get uh, a paperwork every single year, basically, uh, you know, laying out what you're going to have to be tested for, what you're going to be tested for. And it was well known, at least in the football community, I know for a fact that the NCAA, though, would tell you to stay off of street drugs like that that marijuana was off the test. And no matter how much you smoked, you would never fail an NCAA drug test 
for marijuana unless it was bowl season. Okay, that's the only stipulation there. Now, these these rules were well known and well, they weren't necessarily well documented. They were kind of swept underneath the rug and kind of kept away from news lines because the NCAA always wanted people to believe that their athletes drug free, right? Their athletes are clean. They're not doing anything like smoking marijuana. But the reality is they knew people would still do it. So what they did was they just took the, the THC off the drug test screen. That's it. You, they would still pop you for cocaine. They would still pop you for PEDs. They would still pop you for all that uh, stuff outside of marijuana. But in the mainstay, they would still be telling people that they were testing for weed. Now, they just recently changed that rule. Now, weed is actually added on to the drug screening. Uh, so kids are actually having to get clean. But that would be my suggestion to the NFL. Look, you don't have to come out here and endorse the smoking of marijuana. Roger Goodell would never do that for a PR and, you know, a public image uh, standpoint. That's just not something you can do yet as of this point here, even in 2019, as it's becoming legal in a handful of states, I believe up to, you know, 12 or 15 states now have legalized it. But again, what you can do if you're the NFL is to say you're cracking down on it. Still tell people all in all that, you you know, you're testing for it. And just take it off the screen. It's not that big of a deal. If people aren't failing for it, if it's not in the news, people won't talk about it. It will be very rarely uh, will a media or a journalist analyst come out and say, you know what I haven't seen a lot lately? I haven't seen very many NFL players failing their drug test. I wonder what's happening with that. You know, it's not something that people are going to really report on. So that's just kind of my opinion on the fact Mm -hmm. that, you know, you come out and say you're totally against it. But you don't have to be suspended and costing people like Randy Gregory their entire NFL career because he's got some pain he's got to deal with, man. And that CTE stuff, that stuff is nothing to play with, Sarah. All these guys, I truly believe, all these professional football players, at least the ones uh, inside the box playing the majority of the contact positions there, these guys are walking out with these symptoms. Uh, And if something helps them from their head pounding all day long, like some of my former teammates I knew were going through every single day, then like you said, man, do what you got to do. Um, and if it's for medical purposes, then it is what it is. I think that's where we stand. Correct, sir? Yep, absolutely, man. All right, let's hit on some of these other news topics before we get out of here. Uh, two quick things, man. There's going to be a 40-yard dash contest uh, hosted <laughs> by a company called 40 Yards of Gold. Uh, it's going to go that's down great. June 29th. And listen to some of these entrants, man. You got Alvin Kamara from the Saints, Ted Ginn Jr., uh, as well, who kind of started all of this by saying on Bleacher Report, Adam Lefko, who shout out to the homie friend of the show here on the NFL Mox podcast, um, you know, said on Adam's show that he right now, anybody, $10,000, you can come get this work on a 40-yard dash. Tariq Cohen in this as well. Robbie Anderson from the Jets. Mark Ingram, who, by the way, is going to get freaking flat out smoked in this right here. <laughs> a former Oakland Raider. Uh, Al Davis selection back in, I believe, 2012. Jacoby Ford, yeah. uh, former wide receiver there from Clemson. That guy could flat out fly. Uh, former Cleveland Brown, Corey Coleman, who's also been cut uh, from the Patriots as well. So he bounced around the league and is now out running 40-yard dash competitions. Uh, Minnesota Vikings quarterback Trey Waynes, uh, Dominique Rodgers-Cromarty, Buda Baker, and Kevin Byard from the Tennessee Titans. Uh, There's going to be a handful of other people that that run this 40-yard dash competition uh, as well as two apparently Mm -hmm. surprise guests. Uh, What are your thoughts of this, man? How excited are you to watch a bunch of guys run some 40s against each other? 
Dude, you know I'm always down to watch guys run 40s. Uh, I do it every single year. I sit I sit here on Saturday morning or Friday morning or whatever it is, and I watch guys run 40-yard dash, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. That guy's really fast. Um, and no, I, I all joking aside, I think this is going to be really cool to see because I always wonder – as guys get you know into their NFL career, as they continue to mature physically, I know you, they say you don't reach your physical peak until you're 29 going on 30, which is what I am right now, crazy enough. And maybe there'll be a new study next year that says you don't reach your physical peak till you're 30 going on 31. But I'm just joking. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see it. I think Ted Ginn Jr., I mean, he's going to put his money where his mouth is, man. He's, he's, I think he's going to win this thing outright. I mean, he may be the oldest guy in this competition, but he's got to be the fastest. I remember watching him play at Ohio State, man. I saw him in person, and man, you blink your eye, this guy's gone. And so, uh, I think he's going to win it. Yeah, it's definitely a solid pick. Ted Ginn Jr., I believe, ran a 4 4 1 at the combine, or at least at his pro day there at Ohio State. But a lot of people don't know that that was freshly, or at least they don't remember, that was freshly after a, after a broken foot there that he sustained uh, after the mm-hmm. opening kickoff there against uh, Florida in the national championship game in what was that, 2008? Uh, either way, mm-hmm. a long time ago there against. Your beloved Tim Tebow, the backup quarterback there. <laughs> However, Chris Lee was the starter there that year. Tebow was a true freshman. But nonetheless, I think Tim Tedden Jr., that's the one I'm most interested to see run this because we we know he's been incredibly fast. Jacoby Ford, is that guy still in shape? I highly doubt it. Um, Alvin Kamara, that was a four-five-five guy uh, at the combine coming out of college. The only guy who I think, you know, is gonna be really, really uh interesting to see is Tariq Cohen right from Chicago mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is a guy who you know he's going to win out of the blocks the first 10 yards uh Tariq Cohen's definitely going to be ahead of these guys I guarantee you on June 29th it's just whether or not he'll be able to hold them down I think to me that's the most uh important aspect of this they're going to race side by side they're going to be doing heats uh so it's not just going to be hand time or uh uh you know, a laser time or anything like that. But who you got? Of these names I've listed, who's your pick? Is it Ted Ginn Jr. or are you like me? Yeah. I think I like Tariq Cohen in this matchup, sir. Cohen, he's going to be fun to watch. I think you're right. I think nobody's going to have that quicker first 10 yards. But I think the best mm-hmm. long speed guy on here is Ted Ginn Jr. I mean, we see this guy pulling away for, what is he, 33 now? I mean, we still see this guy pulling away. Yeah, 34. His speed has not left him. So I'm definitely I'm definitely going and sticking with Ted Ginn Jr. on this one. If, if there's a sleeper that I've got to pick, I mean, just because of how random it is that he's in this, I'm taking Jacoby Ford because the dude could fly at Clemson. Oh. So, I mean – I think if there's if there's a sleeper just because it's so random that he's there because he doesn't play right now and haven't heard his name in a long time and he's just popping up in the speed contest, uh, I'll say Jacoby Ford. He can probably still run pretty fast. Yeah, I mean, speed, speed, baby. I don't think it leaves you. I think Herschel Walker actually, uh, I think it was about five or six years ago when he was training for the UFC, it reportedly was clocked at like a 4 4 five damn near 50 years old so speed speed as long as you don't as long as you don't pull the hamstring uh you should be pretty good to go there uh in terms of top end speed now the last bit of news we got to hit on and we got to hit on it quick man the nfl banned oklahoma drill as well as the bull in the ring drill and what they call the podge drill but for us that was oklahoma that's what we called there's two different forms of oklahoma right there's the ones where you lay on your back 
you're, you're kind of helmet to helmet on your back. Coach blows the whistle. You get to your feet as fast as you can. One's a ball carrier. One's a tackler. That's the kind of basic Oklahoma drill. This podge drill that they call is kind of a half line scenario this is what we called oklahoma all the way through my college career uh you know three down linemen three offensive linemen three defensive linemen a linebacker and a running back you go four downs in a row you have to score you have to at least get 10 yards that's kind of the scenario uh these these drills man they're getting cut out of the sport of football at least Mm -hmm. the nfl teams are being asked to avoid these drills i understand the whole bull in the ring being out of there i thought that was kind of a ridiculous drill my whole entire life is just one of those we're going to teach you toughness by banging your head against the wall over and over again. Not very productive in my mind. What's your thoughts on the NFL trying to make uh, the game a little bit safer or at least practice a little bit safer? What are your thoughts on these this story of them banning these drills? Yeah, you know, I'm all for, for making the game safer, but I'm saying forget $10,000 on 40-yard dash. Let's get $10,000 on the best players in the league going Oklahoma drill. That's what I'm talking about right there. I want to see I want to see some real action here with these guys. I remember doing the Oklahoma drill as a kid. I remember doing it in high school. Uh, I mean, if we're putting $10,000 on something, I mean, let's see these guys do something interesting like the Oklahoma drill. But, you know, man, I'm all for the game being safer. I think the bigger bummer is the fact that they've really limited practices. But then, then you hear players like, like Chris Harris Jr., who's in a contract dispute right now, talking about the fact that the new way of practices in the NFL has really changed how guys can elongate their career. And he was making a comparison between himself and, and I think it was Champ Bailey. I won't put words in his mouth, but I think it was Champ Bailey. And it would make sense because Champ was 33 when he got a new contract. And people are talking about, well, you can't give a player that old a new contract and chris is like talking about how well just wait and see you know the new cba practice rules like my body is my body's a lot in a lot better shape right now and and i tend to believe him you know i think that that's probably the case because these guys aren't doing much contact during the week whereas you know back in the josh mcdaniels broncos days those guys were running double days and they were hitting hard every practice and so um i think it's good for the nfl I think it's a bummer that they had to glamorize, you know, oh man, this is one of our favorite nostalgic drills, man. This is like the scene in movie, like the scene in Rudy, man, this guy's getting up off the ground doing the Oklahoma drill. And I mean, it's just one of the ones that everyone knows about, you know? And so, man, I don't think they had to do the Oklahoma drill like this, man. They just brought it out and, and publicly trashed it. All right, since we're burying the Oklahoma drill forever, it's to never be on again in the NFL. Let's just kind of tell a story that every every football player, if you've ever ran the Oklahoma drill, you can absolutely relate to unless you're that one kid we're going to be talking <laughs> about. Sarah, not, I guarantee you you've done this as well because every – I'm telling you, every football player has done this. So you're lining up in your Oklahoma drill, right? You got your offense on one side, ball carrier line mm-hmm. on one side, defender line on the other. Wow, let's say – I'm seven people deep in said defender's line, right? You know for a fact, and the people listening to this, you know as well, if you're number seven, the very first thing you did was count how many you are behind the line and yep. then figure out which of those dudes on that other side yeah. is the guy you're going to have to go up against. Yeah. And if it's that one kid that doesn't share these thoughts of, hey, who am I going to go against that has that idea of it doesn't matter who I'm going to go against, I'm going to kill him anyways, unless you're that guy. Everyone listening to this story that's ever done the Oklahoma drill, 
knows that feeling right there. Oh, yeah. uh, and I definitely wasn't one of those guys. But I'll tell you who was. His name was Tyler Britton. And I'm going to tell you right now, I, I did one Oklahoma drill against Tyler Britton in my entire Pop Warner football career. After that, I made damn sure that I never had to go against him again. That's what I know about the Oklahoma drill. And, Sarah, I know you can relate. You count back and see who you were faced against. Dude, yeah, I counted back and I like I manipulated where I was in line after the fact because I want to be the <laughs> I want to be the guy who ends the drill, man. I want to be the guy who does who has the best Oklahoma drill possible. So you're like you're just destroying the other guy and you're getting everybody jacked up. So you just coach blows the whistle when your drill's done because you just wrecked that guy and that's the rep you want to end on. But yeah, man, I'm definitely I can definitely relate. I counted back the guys and I'm like. Oh, well, that's the, uh, the, they call them in South Dakota. They call them the elite 45. I'm like, that's the elite 45 captain right there. So I'm going to go ahead and swap spots with this kid right here. Who's going to get destroyed today. Not me. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> so I can definitely relate. And your only hope and wish is that the other guy doesn't realize what the hell's going on. <laughs> on. You could just like, Hey man, ever heard of a Chinese cut? Like, for some reason, I got to tie yep. my shoe. You can go ahead. <laughs> like, just whatever yeah. you can do to make sure the guy cut you in line uh, and, and took the rep for you and took that hit. But that is exactly. our show for tonight on the NFL Mox Podcast. Uh, we appreciate you guys for listening. We will see you Tuesday night. This episode will be up Wednesday morning. Uh, this episode will come out tomorrow morning. That's May 25th or 24th on Friday. Sarah, what do you got to say to the folks? Send them out. Gosh, you know, uh, rest in peace to the Oklahoma drill. Uh, excited to see Ndamukong Sue playing in the state of Florida again where there's no pressure on his back. He can just do what he wants to do. I think he's going to do well there. Gerald McCoy, man, they did him dirty. They did him dirty right there. I don't know what I don't know what he's going to do, but I think he's going to find some new life, some new pop. Uh, and uh, shout out one more time to Tim Tebow. I heard he just hit his first AAA home run the other day, so – the it factor lives on, baby. The it factor lives on. We could close it with that. Uh, by the way, I saw Tim Tebow in Rome, Georgia, play a little uh, rookie little high A single A baseball. Um, he was there for three games. They sold out all three games. He went 0 for 12 in those three games <laughs> with 11 strikeouts and a ground out to the pitcher. So, Shout out to what we'll, I guess, call the It Factor episode. We appreciate you guys for listening. We'll see you next time. And maybe Tim Tebow will hit a home run before our next episode so me and Sarah can talk about hey. it. <laughs> we'll see you, buddy. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.